thing about wildlife is that it the thing about wildlife is the thing about wildlife thing about wildlife is the thing about wildlife is feeling of interconnectedness that it's humbling is that it's insightful intriguing you belong it's about all of us always evokes a sense of wonder doesn't matter why you're here that's the thing about wildlife Hello there listeners. I am Ishika, your host on the thing about wildlife. I wholeheartedly welcome you to a new series within this podcast, The Thing About Pride. These are episodes showcasing the work and lived experiences of queer or LGBTQIA+ identifying persons in the fields of ecology and conservation. On our second episode, I speak with three fabulous queer wildlifers, all of whom you have heard from before during our second season from early 2022. The fields of wildlife biology and conservation are full of diversity, and I have some of those examples for you today. First up, we have Tanya Gill, who you first met in episode 16, The Thing About Personalities. Tanya is a doctoral candidate from the Department of Anthropology at the University of Delhi and works closely with urban research macaques of Delhi where she studies their myriad personalities. Next, we have Ishan Patel from episode 18, The Thing About Getting Started. Ishan is a multi-talented, multifaceted individual who has already forayed into several avenues of the conservation space, from environmental education and design and better understanding hornbills to social sciences and social justice at the James Hutton Institute. And then from season 2 episode 19, the thing about landscape avifauna, we were joined by Jobin Vargis. Landscape architect turned birder and ecologist, he is nearly Dr. Jobin at the moment, having completed his doctoral work since we last spoke at Aisar Tirupati. Together, we spoke at length about our collective queer experiences and how they link into our careers. If you haven't heard the episodes I just mentioned yet, do give them a listen after this one. The work that Tanya, Ishan and Jobin do is truly fantastic, interdisciplinary and so inspiring. Here's the episode now. The thing about queer wildlifers. Hey guys, hi Tanya, hi Jobin, hi Ishan. Welcome back to the thing about wildlife. Hi Shikha. Thanks hi, Shikha for having hi, us. Yeah, though thanks for coming back. I was very excited to have a part 2 of the conversations we had in season 2 last year. and especially in this context and uh, i am also very curious to know everything that you guys have been up to since we last spoke um ishan our episode last year was called the thing about getting started and you were just beginning uh, your first full fledged job at that time and you come a long way i know in just this one year so why don't we start with you and you can tell us what you've been up to since we last spoke um yeah so since we last spoke i've I think I just started working in Scotland as a research assistant. Uh so I work in mainly socio environmental sciences area and right now the work I'm doing is very much focused on environmental policy so uh well not just environmental but also related to food policy and climate change policy. Um yeah so that that's what I'm doing right now I'm starting to think about 
potentially doing a PhD sometime soon. So lots of different thoughts about wanting to start working in India again and uh, potentially doing a PhD and career progression, etc. So that's where I'm at. Oh, wow. That's a lot of uh, lot of new stuff there. Uh, I'm going to come back to a lot of those threads of thought uh, through our conversation. But thanks, Ishan. Jobin, what have you been up to? Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm still uh, at the fag end of my PhD right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, the field work is over. We are in the process of writing an analysis. And I had I hadn't realized how big my PhD is. So I have, a, I have a bunch of interns who are helping me out and all these stuff that are, uh, yeah. So um, by the end of this month, hopefully I'll be able to give my first pre-synopsis, I mean, the pre-synopsis, the first talk, the end, big talk. And uh, yeah, so that's the whole, uh, that's the whole, uh, yeah, the immediate future that I have for uh, for my PhD. And yeah, I haven't, I haven't yeah, I haven't applied for post office, so that's that's what's uh, worrying me right now. But yeah, that, that's the whole year. That's really. Oh wow! Hey, congratulations for being at this stage, though. That's so exciting. It um, is. I have no idea. <laughs> no idea what to. Yeah, uh, how what to expect? No prior experience in this, of course. So just pushing. I mean, whatever, whatever uh, I can, I'm just pushing it out. So yeah, I mean, at the end, it's like a finished PhD is the best PhD. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. Good luck with stuff, Jovan. I'm sure it'll be Thank great. You. I mean, hearing about the work you've been doing and you've spent so many years in that landscape. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tanya, what about you? I know you're at a similar space uh, like Jobin right now, but we also spoke a lot about your work in Shimla the last time we spoke on the podcast and ever since you've also spent some years working with urban macaques in Delhi. So maybe also give us a bit more context about what you did for your PhD and what's happening now. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, so right now I am, as you said, in the similar stage as Jobin. Uh, I finished my fieldwork. But yeah, the last time we spoke, I was still structuring my field work. And at that time, I was just collecting focals. Uh, but then it developed into something a little, I, I added a little more experiments uh, on how to uh, measure personalities in non-social situations um, on uh, among uh, research macaques. So now I have data on behavioral patterns of rhesus macaques, urban rhesus, and uh, also how they behave in non-social settings. Uh, so yeah, I did a couple of, uh, you can call them pool experiments, but uh, yeah, I'm yet to analyze my data. And uh, so I'm not sure uh, if, uh, I mean, how, what have come out of it right now, because I still have to compare it with their behavioral patterns. But yeah, I did, uh, uh, did some experiments. I don't know if you want me to elaborate on that ex on those experiments in the field. Sure, you can give us a brief about it. Yeah, so I did um four. I, I categorized these experiments into four um um categories. So one was to see how these monkeys behave in the presence of predators, and um, 
the second one was how they interact with novel items the third one was how they uh, interact with the novel food and uh, the last one uh, which is my favorite one is how they um, interact with food puzzles um and then now we can see how different individuals behave in different ways in these different non social settings so yeah that's what i that's what my field work became after um, after a couple of months of just collecting photos and uh, yeah now i'm analyzing and starting to write and also i'm also worried about finding a postdoc <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, it's always on the head. It's always there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it sounds like we are the three of us, uh, apart from Ishan, are at different stages, like consecutive stages of our PhD, and hopefully, we won't scare Ishan away from even the prospect of a PhD <laughs> by the end of this conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm already quite scared, so. Um, yeah, a realistic check would be good. It's good <laughs> to know what comes next. Uh, yeah, I think I think having a good mentor is the. I mean, uh, yeah, all this look. For, I mean, I don't know about the other like the reputation of the institution or something like that. But mentor, very important, I suppose. Yeah, I agree, and also a little bit of institutional support. Ah, uh -huh, of course. Yeah. No, that's very true. And on one hand, of course, there is the need for a really good mentor and institutional support academically and to actually just be in a stable space and to have both the freedom to do what you want as well as some amount of structured guidance so that you're not entirely lost and you don't go off in every direction possible because I guess I, I know that by now I know it's not just me I know this is the rite of passage that a lot of PhD students go through where they want to explore everything in the initial stages as well but I'm also going to use this as a nice segue in terms of needing the right guidance at the right times uh, to come and talk about, you know, your experiences as all everyone here is a queer person. And we've all now spent different amounts of time in this in this field. And something that I also realized in my last conversation with uh, Nisha Bhakat, who uh, I also recorded with as part of this series, she and I were reflecting on how our process of um, self-discovery, both professional and personal, kind of go hand in hand. Because around, it's often around the same time that we're figuring out our interests professionally and kind of trying to navigate that. And the space of wildlife and conservation is not one which has very clear milestones or a very clear career trajectory or path. There are so many different ways to come to it. And we already spoke last year, Jobin, about how you switched careers as well. And you didn't initially begin in the space of wildlife. And you came to it from a completely different perspective and angle. Even Tanya came at it from an anthropological side of things and not necessarily a wildlife conservation side of things. And uh, Ishan and I both came at it from the life sciences. So there are so many different ways in which we can approach this. And so there was that journey of figuring that side of ourselves out. But at the same time, we were also going through that personal journey of figuring out our own identities and our own sexualities and figuring out who we are as people. 
and where that fits in to our professional space and whether they can even go hand in hand because that is a huge question mark in a lot of places uh, and india is of course one of those places where we have to think about that actively and what that means so i was wondering if each of you could perhaps reflect on that journey about where you first started questioning your own identity and where, whether that had any impact on your professional trajectory as well um jobin would you like to begin so i was very clear from uh from the age of 12 or 13 that i wasn't straight whatever i mean at least bi or uh, gay i was i wasn't straight that was that was very clear uh, by the time i joined uh, so yeah i mean of course um uh, uh like architecture and landscape architecture i was still i was open to my friends that wasn't a big deal i mean so <clears throat> Mm, so they knew about me but i wasn't very open open and it was only in uh, during my masters that i actually um started going on date with a person who was right next to in the in the institution and uh, people started noticing that i was dressing up nicely <laughs> and that's when i realized okay i mean yeah i mean this means something right i mean the whole uh, that that's why the whole uh, uh, the act of um, uh working on oneself uh, yeah that that started then and that's when i got more and more confident like hey dude i mean this is what it is let's just deal with it. let's just yeah let's just yeah uh, this is this is, this is what you are going to be i mean i don't think there's go there's there's going to be any other trajectory for you so let's just be the best of what you can be so yeah and uh, it was not um so yeah i mean again uh, only to my friends and not to everyone but uh, it was um it was during uh, after i quit my uh, so yeah bangalore happened so bangalore was after my masters i started working in bangalore as a landscape architect and that's when uh, that's that's the, the the city i mean i love the city because of that it had like opened a lot of avenues to meet people without the context of you know so before that it was just oh you meet queer people because you want to uh, you want to get physical but bangalore opened up this avenue of meeting people bunch of people like that was first time i see like some 20 gay men in a room and yeah i mean it was all casual there was nothing i mean though no expectations from anyone i mean so so that i mean that was like totally bonkers i mean i i wish uh, gay men uh, or or everyone i mean gay women trans people uh, ex- i mean experience that feeling at the very early stage of their life so uh, i mean the, the, i mean that was it that's that's when the conference even grew i mean and then there were uh, so there were these meetings called uh, uh, good as you uh, in bangalore and uh, gay, gay running and breakfast again in bangalore so these these platforms where people meet up and uh, good as you was more uh, political more uh, like it was more um, more serious in that sense like people chatted about their uh, their problems and stuff like that grab was more casual more chatty a lot of talking so i mean but anyways both had different uh, kind of experiences so that's what uh, uh, yeah and then after that uh, i started working with uh, supriya and uh, that was uh, that was uh, mm, yeah that was in uh, uh western west bengal uh north west bengal and uh, yeah so the thing is uh, uh 
uh, that was the first time I actually I opened up to any of my uh, bosses as such. Like she she was heading the project, so she was technically my boss. So that was the first time I opened. I mean, probably because the age difference wasn't that big, but still, I mean, she still um, was my boss, and I, I mean, I opened up to her about my sexuality, and uh, from then on, it was like okay. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, so till now it was only within friends, and then it was like my work boss. So. Uh, yeah and then then just happened then that my parents wanted to get me married so I was like okay it's high time uh, I actually come out to my parents so yeah there was an email written to my father and mother so yeah so that's that's a different story I think I've already mentioned that so yeah uh, yeah that's 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 the thing I mean after that it was quite easy for me to go about my life uh, as a gay person even in my professional setting um e- easy to come out to people without um without uh, yeah i mean without uh i don't know sec- uh yeah also uh i mean i i i would just point out this thing that all those spaces that i have been a part of were also a space where a lot of privileged people be i mean are a part of so i'm not sure if i was in a different setting how would that be but uh yeah i mean i was uh i i was in such a setting so it was easier as such i don't know for me but yeah that's 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 basically what it is thanks jovan i know that these are not like also very easy things to reflect on and call back on because you of course once you start coming out to people it becomes a never ending process and it's a blur <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but uh, but thanks thanks for that uh, bit of perspective there and for sharing uh, your journey What was it like for you, Tanya? So yeah, I was also never confused about my sexuality. I always knew, um, but uh, I never had queer friends for a very long time. I think it finally started happening in masters when, um, after masters, when I started looking for queer spaces. And so I mean, it's not easy for. Uh, I don't use any uh, labels, but it's still not easy for. um lesbian identifying person to people who find queer spaces um i think it's much more easier for again gay men there are more spaces there are more parties that you can go to uh but yeah that never happened with me i've always lived in delhi but the queer spaces were very limited there was a lot of political conversation around it um but yeah still very limited social um uh, settings where you can go and hang out with queer people so um also i wasn't really dating for a i never dated for a very long time uh, although i was very comfortable with my identity i never had any problem with it but i was always a part of these straight spaces so uh, yeah it took a very long time for me to come to terms with that okay now now i can i'm ready to socialize with queer people uh so yeah i mean after masters i started looking for queer spaces and people who were comfortably who comfortably identify as queer uh um yeah i just started making friends really uh it was not really connected to my professional life because some, that's something i've still kept um separate from my professional life because uh, i don't know i mean it 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 i've been so used to just switching off and on uh in these spaces so that that's still happening uh 
um, but yeah, I mean, it took a very long time to start being friends with other queer people. Um, yeah, and also I never came out to any of my friends. Eventually, I found out all the friends I made in Masters were also in some way or the other queer. <laughs> <laughs> but I never came out to anyone uh, in that sense. Um, now I'm more comfortable talking about my professional life with my friends, but it's it never happened in, in this, you know, um, an event where I'm coming out to them. It was just casually sharing about what is happening in my life and not about how I identify as. That has started happening now. So it's a yeah, it's very recent. So yeah, it has nothing to do with my professional life because it was something I still feel uh I don't know, I'm I'm not comfortable with it because the place where I'm working, it's not very queer friendly and uh, it's a difficult place to navigate. So it's just easier to just do my work and uh, not really engage in these conversations. But yeah, now it's better because um now, even in Delhi, you find a lot of queer events happening and you can go and socialize. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it has been better compared to what it was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've stopped talking to cishet people, which is uh, my role after I've discovered these queer spaces. <laughs> no, same. I completely <laughs> the same page at you. Oh my god, I have a lot of cishet people <laughs> as my friends. Oh no, I think I have, I, my, I have I think a really can... good friend. I mean, that's the whole challenge. <laughs> that uh, I just gave up on them. No. <laughs> it's just not working. <laughs> then last honestly. <laughs> oh my god. How would that work out? I mean, you still have to live in this world. I don't know. I mean, it's working out to me. <laughs> Every time I talk to cishet people, I'm just confused. I don't know what to talk about. There is just no common ground. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, well, thankfully, no. like I said, like I said, I've I, just I think forgotten I that their world also exists. <laughs> oh my god! No, I completely resonate about the you just attract queer people around you and just like surround yourself with queer people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. I think there's some kind of underlying subliminal messaging going on there because so many of my friends from early like school and early college years and obviously at the time no one knew what their identity was really and everyone's turning out to you know be some form of queer or the other and like okay now now we see why we gravitated towards each other <laughs> yeah but thanks for that, Tanya. I think we'll come back to some of uh, maybe the reasons why you still feel uncomfortable talking about these things in professional spaces because that is definitely important to reflect upon. So we'll come we'll come back to that. But Ishan, Ishan, what about you? Um, yeah, first I want to just I completely resonate with what Jopin said in terms of privileged spaces and I definitely like I cannot deny the amount of privilege I have growing up and also the sort of spaces that I was part of especially in college because I went to Ishika and I both went to very liberal colleges like a lot of liberal people a lot of sort of open conversations a lot of visibility about queerness so that was definitely helpful so I was I never had to come out and that was sort of just became one like part of it as early as I was like 16. 
always kind of been out, always had the privilege of being visibly queer uh, and uh, being in like a queer junior college and college setting. So that happened. And uh, even when I first applied for internships right out of my bachelor's degree, uh, the first internship I did, Ishika was my boss. So the first sort of entry into the job market, I was working with Ishika. And also, like, I knew she she was a senior from college and uh, we, don't, we didn't know each other. But, like, obviously, there is that sort of, you went to the same sort of college, you had the same sort of setting. So there is that sort of this, th this is also a safe space, that understanding that you share the same background, you possibly also share the same um, values when it comes to queerness. So I think I remember when we were at work and we just start of started working together a month or two ago. And uh, at one point, we just looked at each other and had that sort of reaction as like you. And, <laughs> and then we also knew another colleague who was who we'd had parallel conversations with. So we sort of like dragged everyone to a room and we're like, so guys, I know something about all of us. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, so we're all queer. So that was a really fun moment because we'd all sort of hinted at each other. And I think that, that comes back to what you said, Tanya, about you just gravitate to like queer people and just drop hints, you know, about like, just to like test the waters if it's a safe space or not. And th that was definitely helpful because I think we all sort of came from the same background and, uh, had an idea that things wouldn't go like badly if we did come out to each other. So having that knowledge really helped. So, and just that privilege of having a boss who was also like quite queer and like quite open to talk about it. I think that helped in my development, professional development, because then I knew Ishika was also part of queer spaces. I was introduced to these queer spaces through her, uh, and that definitely helped in terms of like, you know, where, who I'm working with next and what sort of queer and what sort of environment that is. And like, I, I knew she always was kind of guiding me in that, like, oh, you know, you can definitely go work here because there's a lot of nice people there, a lot of accepting people there. That sort of conversations were always part of it. So that definitely helps us like having that queer mentor, even if they're not your immediate boss, but someone you can trust and someone who can guide you through this. Yeah, also just being in a new city with a queer person was really helpful because it's quite easy to yeah, just navigating the queer spaces and finding out like one of those things is uh, BQFF in Bangalore, which I didn't, which is like the best thing. It's so cool. Uh, I didn't know about it, and I think Ishika introduced me to uh, Bangalore Queer Film Festival, and it's it's so fun. And I think that's another part of it, just navigating a new place that you're in and finding your queer circle. I think one thing I really want to point out, though, is that you played such an instrumental role at the organization for creating that safe space. Because I was already working there for a while and the others who you referred to, uh, who we all kind of mutually figured we were queer, um, 
we were all working there already, right? But we were still in our silos and we were still closeted in the workspace. And this wasn't something that we hadn't collectivized, you know, yet. And you were quite a driving force there because like you were saying, you speaking about being visibly queer, which is something not everyone has been doing. And I think a lot of the folks who were already there at the time uh, were not visibly queer. Everyone was kind of passing, right? And, and masking their queerness and straight passing to some degree or the other. Uh, apart from, of course, to fellow queers who were able to pick up on some of the finer hints and signs of queerness. Um, so just the fact that you came in with that spirit and you carried that safe space with you and made that happen for all of us to feel that much more welcome to be our whole selves in a workspace. I think that is something which is so unique and I've seen you do that in multiple spaces and that's so special. So uh, I actually attribute all of that to you because I feel if you didn't come at the job with that energy it's highly unlikely we would have had any of those moments of queer bonding or experiences or even taking our mutual mentorship to that level right because you made the space safe enough for us to discuss those things so I think there's definitely a lot to attribute to you over there um so thanks thanks a lot for that Ishan but I also it also brought up this idea of being visibly queer right because uh, like you were saying, Tanya, you don't feel comfortable enough to talk about this in the workspace. And does that mean that you uh, do you have to put in any additional effort to be to mask your queerness when you are in a professional space? And if yes, has that affected you in any way in your professional space in terms of your mental health? Or what has that been like for you over time? Because now you've been at the same space for quite a while where you have to continually uh, hide a part of you. Yeah, so um, I'm also cis-passing. I mean, I appear to people cis-passing. Not always, but uh, most of the time. So um, if these institutes institutions are not queer friendly they you can actually see pe everyone is actually masking in that department and uh, um it's it's just frustrating so i mean right after my field work now because i spend a mo most of my time at the department we're trying to some of my fellow colleagues who also identify as queer uh, we're trying to find out ways to you know organize seminars uh, workshops for um on gender sensitization, or we could have just conversation with other colleagues, but it's just been extremely difficult um, because it's it's a government institution, right? So it's more difficult in these spaces because there is a lot of bureaucracy involved. Uh, some of the seminars are organized based on, you know, who they can invite and it's on, it's all based on networking. And not really for people, um, you know, to um, have a, a create a safe, safe safe space for just generally everyone, not just queer identifying people. So it's it's a it has been difficult. Um, there are no conversations around queerness. Um, just people talking about general science and anthropological stuff, which is. Again, I don't understand because in anthropology, you have to talk. 
it has to be inclusive we have to talk about everything which has not been happening um it's a yeah i really don't know how to explain it because it's it's yeah for me also it just feels like it's better to not engage because it takes a lot of energy out of you although i'm not i i mean i started um so yeah, right after my masters and i started my phd i started wearing clothes at the department uh, i mean more a little bit more feminine clothes if i'm going to a seminar and i wasn't completely comfortable in those but i thought it's a professional setting and uh, there are some rules that you have to follow these silly corporate rules that have somehow come into these places also so yeah but now i have stopped doing it after 5 years of my phd i'm like okay i'm going to stop doing this and being be little more assertive but it's i don't know this it still hasn't i don't feel i still don't feel comfortable in that space because it's just better to stay invisible than to engage because it takes a lot of energy from you and it demands a lot of time from you which is a little difficult when you're also doing your phd mm-hmm. uh, yeah i just wanted to add something like a side note to what tanya said in terms of like visibility and the energy it takes i think visibility comes with an extreme amount of privilege because i, I remember at the time when i was being extreme and i am being extremely visible i know there is i know i had n- not much to lose at that point in terms of like i know i come from a very stable socio economic background i know i have very accepting open parents i know if at that time anything would have happened i had a very like oh you know i can always fall back so i think that comes with extreme privilege of like you know i'm just entering this new job space like i don't know anyone i have literally absolutely nothing to lose and like even like and i completely get in terms of like not everyone has that privilege of lot of like obviously it's a job lot of people are doing it for uh lots of different reasons and like being openly visible can be extremely you know like can cost you your career and you can cost you career progression so yeah i, I just wanted to say i completely agree with what you said in terms of being visible comes with that energy and sort of you need that backing yeah yeah no that's uh, that's really so important and i think another uh, thing that that leads me to is how the onus of that education uh, is often with the queer people right where in in spaces where people are underrepresented or don't feel safe enough to come out because they assume everybody is heterosexual and straight and um, that puts a lot of pressure on people who want to put in that energy and be openly queer or be visible in any degree whatsoever in order to do that it comes along with the um uh, just completely assumed responsibility that uh, the queer person needs to do all of the awareness building and education in that space uh so maybe jobin you can talk a bit more about this because i know you've also you've said you've been openly queer in a lot of your professional spaces for a while now so what has that been like for you do you find that this is true that you have to often 
bear that role of the educator in terms of queer matters or is this something um, that's not really on your shoulders okay so um i mean so I, it varied with the setting that i was in like um, uh, when i opened up to uh, uh, supri about my sexuality that was in west bengal and we were in a tiny village and um, so it didn't happen immediately uh, the villagers uh, didn't know uh, but until the next season that i came back they knew they knew that i was uh, queer and surprisingly everyone was very supportive and uh, like there was no no judgment of any uh, um, i mean i i'm probably i'm not sure why but uh, they knew that i had a boyfriend at that time and uh, they were uh, they asked me about him and how he is what does he do what did he do and all that thing and uh, uh, there was no awkward question like how do you do it and all that stuff no no there was no awkward questions like that there was like simple question that gen- generally what you were, uh, i mean you listen to when you're growing up like a, between a couple like those kind of questions like so that was that was something and uh, i mean they just it was just like that i mean it was very um, those, the, that conversation could have been a very straight passing conversation if we just switched the gender there was nothing there was no i um, mean awkward questioning in that sense so that was one setting and that was i mean that was very surprising and i was very lucky to be in that situation um the second uh, uh i think the uh, professional setting where i what oh yeah then again i was masters and then uh, i was directly in uh, into my phd and i I've, obviously i didn't open up immediately but it was there on my instagram it was there on my mm, twitter already like hey if you if you know you know i mean kind of these things like there are signs everywhere so but i obviously i wouldn't just go by hey i'm i'm jobin hi i'm gay no no not like that so um but it just happened one day that there was um uh like one and a half years later in I mean, almost into my phd and i got the scholarship like uh, i'm i'm uh, the, the prime minister scholarship and it was a big deal over there so uh, people said like hey now uh, jobin can uh, um uh, can jobin can buy fridge jobin can buy tv that's one person but there was buy fridge buy tv and also get married so it's like what <laughs> what was what was that so uh, yeah so 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 then i had to like call out that person hey i mean uh, look i am i am gay and i don't think marriage is uh, something that legally possible for me also not not that i'm looking for it right now so but i mean uh, you didn't know my background i mean uh, why would you just say something like that uh later i know later later i knew that there were a lot more problems with that statement you're just objectifying women as well in that setting like you're just comparing them with tv sensation so anyway so that was because i had an uh, i had a very woke friend who also pointed out that this was wrong with the statement not just from your perspective the other perspective as well so um yes then uh, it just happened that um, i had like uh, in a setting um uh, all these queer discussions i mean from then on i came out to my boss i also am a mentor right now and uh, um he was very supportive but uh, it just ha- I, but i already come out to my friends and our queer discussions and all these conversations happen usually over a drink or something like that suddenly all uh, 
everything gets loosened up and we start having conversation about politics about queer politics i mean yeah i mean however much we knew about it so uh, uh yeah so it, it was like that and that's why i said i mean my sis hit friends are very important for me i mean um, i had i had the privilege of, i don't know if it's called if it would be privilege or not but uh, i've had uh, a lot of sis hit friends who were very supportive of what i am i uh, i'm not sure why but um, all these conversations i mean I, i i don't think i ever had like a queer companion to yeah to uh, in in my workspace there was one or two who would come and go but there was never one particular queer companion with me uh, who would also share the same kind of um, experience that i was so yeah so uh, in terms of educating or something like that i never had to it was like more conversational in that sense like uh, let's just discuss let's just be more uh, open about each other's point of view and i i am one of those people who will call a spade a spade and not <laughs> yeah so so yeah i mean uh uh people uh, so i just had this reputation of being very vocal so people would uh, even now my friends uh, um <laughs> and i i started i started noticing that like my friends um, when they talk about certain stuff like which are out of work and which they have to be very cautious i mean so they 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 talk like they're walking on eggshell like hey uh, <laughs> like something about something as simple as their their nephew's gender or something like that i mean uh, i mean how, i mean they are more um, in fact they they take more efforts in calling um, a baby they them and not he she immediately which is like hey do <laughs> even i haven't started done that i mean that was something like uh, hey uh, i mean you are taking more efforts in doing that so like so so that's something that's something um yeah so it wasn't exactly like educating them but it was just like conversation and arguments more arguments uh never heated but still something yeah and then uh, probably googling up stuff and going back and yeah reading upon it so yeah it was like that yeah no thanks jobin i think you're right i mean sometimes it is just conversation is not so much of a sit down and listen i have to tell you about the queer experience but um, now i was also asking because i often feel like i find myself in those roles and around the time i started being a a lot more vocal about these things i think there was a lot more energy and impetus from within myself to kind of be the voice you know and say okay this is not what it is it's kind of like this and just provide bits of trivia or information along the way but i think since there are a very select few number of people who are openly queer or visibly queer in any of our circles in these kind of workspaces in this field very often different institutions or departments and organizations end up having token queers who kind of become the go to people for all bits of information or all bits of representation uh, whether there are more people around or not so i feel like over time it's also kind of become that assumed role that you play you know where you get consulted on slightly work or queer or gender specific matters um because you're expected 
to represent the entire community just because of your identity yeah but also like to add like sorry uh, if i'm taking more space uh, just, just no, no, that please take all the space you want that's the point of this we aren't we don't have enough spaces so go no, ahead no it's because i mean i don't think uh, i i don't like labeling people introvert extrovert but i am kind of an introvert ambivert that's that spectrum that that part of the spectrum so it's also like my friend circle is not the entire institution so nobody like not all of the people from the institution actually come to me or i mean they of course they know i mean the news spreads uh, i know that they know but um, it's just that i only stick to my lab which is a bad thing definitely but it's just because i'm more comfortable i mean these are the people who know me who i can talk to i mean i would blurt out something like hey that guy is hot or something like that and i don't want everyone to listen to that right i mean i just want like these people who know me know me <laughs> so that's why i'm that's also one of the things why it's been easier for me i suppose i i, I i'm i'm pretty sure of that yeah so yeah yeah that makes that makes sense what about you guys ishan tanya do you have any experiences in this area right now i i'm the queer brown person because i am surrounded by a lot of white colleagues uh so i've definitely been tokenized and uh yeah i mean also not that it should be that way but i know i usually am very down to down to being tokenized no, i'm kidding but uh, i'm usually very very vocal and like extremely out and about about like talking about these things about taking part in queer events taking part in like uh yeah like visibility like you said so i think that onus usually just falls on me very naturally and i am i i know i'm okay with uh taking up that space but at the same time i do want to um acknowledge that a lot of times these spaces are taken by cis gay men which uh which i know is not always the best thing in terms of representation because like yes all of our voices need to be heard but again there are different levels of marginalization in the community itself so it's not always helpful for just one cis gay man to talk about all the issues related to the uh, to the larger community so yeah i do want to talk about like tokenization in terms of it's very easy to be token like it's very easy to tokenize me because i am so visibly out and usually i'm always like yeah i'll do that sort of thing but at the same time it's important to also highlight other voices it's interesting because over time if you look back into the into general queer history in a lot of countries uh gayest men have ended up uh, going from being the most um sidelined from the community the most frowned upon to now being the ones who are allowed to occupy a lot more space so it's also interesting to see that trajectory and how that fits in and i think um, india is an interesting example there where you know regard gender classes and hierarchies kind of supersede and lay on top of sexuality and identity there so that's probably why we end up seeing a lot of that kind of imbalance in who gets to occupy space 
and of course then there is the uh, sexualization of identities and genders which is very different for male identifying and female identifying individuals and how they are perceived by society so so yeah that was an interesting point to bring out ishan about how that also kind of plays into how vocal we can be uh, towards others yeah tanya what is it been like for you Uh, I just wanted to add uh, one thing. We've been talking about marginal marginalization and different layers of discrimination which are present. So I think it's mostly upper caste gay men in these circles also who are the most privileged. So I think it's really important to point that out also. There is a lot of caste discrimination. That's why. Um. So in my department, I'm I'm not being tokenized because I'm not out out, but I am. I belong. I mean, I'm an upper caste person, so that's the privilege. That's that's the reason why they're not attacking me directly, because I am. I belong to these upper caste upper caste spaces, and um, yeah, I think it's more difficult for people belonging to other castes and uh, also identifying as queer. That's like multiple layer of discrimination that they face. uh but there there is one person in my department who has been tokenized and they're okay with it um and i think why shouldn't they be um there queer people hardly get spaces to have any voice um especially in uh, these governmental institutions it's it's very difficult it, 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 there is zero visibility just their presence makes a lot of difference so i don't really have any problem with tokenizing your people i i, I don't know i mean I, it's better than cis het people talk upper caste cis het people talking about your or caste related issues so it's um yeah you just grab on to all the opportunities that you can <laughs> Thanks, Sadia. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I find myself agreeing with all of you. I don't think, uh, you know, we really, really need to occupy more space. And I think now there is also a lot of places are scared to say no, just because a lot of institutions are expected to be more woke. And even when there are there is upper management that may not really align with. these ideas and they might still be conservative in their thoughts about representation and who deserves to have a voice a lot of spaces are still scared to not give that representation because of the kind of public and social backlash you are likely to face uh by denying some queer people that space so i'm also in that zone right now where i feel okay it might not be the best motivations for giving uh you know platforms to queer people but it's still a means to an end so as long as the platforms are being given to us at the end of it all it doesn't matter how we got there might as well just use it you know and make the most of it because someone's going to benefit uh at the end of it all so yeah that that is true um i'm also going to now draw us back to the fact that when we're working in wildlife uh it also blurs a lot of our professional and personal boundaries 
because this is in a strict nine to five job that we all have. Uh, we often have field work. We often travel away from our offices uh, and our workspace is kind of a spectrum. It's it's as, you know, fluid and contigu contiguous as our identities. And, uh, you know, so it's hard to have very clear boundaries that one draws. And it also means you're constantly navigating and judging and testing the waters about how much of yourself you can be in each of these spaces and in the different kinds of people we interact with along the way. So I'm curious to know about your individual journeys with respect to that in terms of how have you navigated the multiple workspaces that come with our line of work and whether there are any specific boundaries you had to draw along the way. Uh, Jogan, would you like to go? In a setting of laboratory, I've already spoken about it, but in the setting of field work, um, I, I have been lucky to have like um like over 50 interns um in, in the in the entire PhD work that I've done. And that would be like some at least at a time um 13 or 15 with me at a tight space all living together. Um so 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 I have I had uh, experience. So uh for me, um uh yeah i don't bring out um the fact that i'm gay or whatever immediately also i don't know if it's the age difference or do i just normally look very scary or something uh the interns do maintain a kind of kind of a distance um regarding their uh regarding asking too many personal questions and uh, i realize that it's not it's not uh, because I'm scared. It's just because I am. I am actually leading that team at that time. So I'm, I become automatically like team leader. And uh, uh, I mean, so yeah. So so that 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 hierarchy is built by themselves. I mean, even though I try and break it, but it's still there somewhere. So uh, they don't approach me, and they don't. I don't ask them their personal lives at least. Or uh, if if I get to know them, then we'll discuss about it. But um, I don't. Uh, directly ask them and not not do they ask me so that 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 opening up has never been uh, never happened like this open talk about uh, me being gay or not once I have once or twice I did come out and that there wasn't a good response to it in the sense that uh, uh, I usually expect like these um, uh, uh, follow-up questions after I come out to a set of people which never never came it was like they already knew and what are you talking <laughs> so i don't know so uh so yeah i mean based on that experience i don't really talk about sexuality as such uh at least in the field work because um yeah i mean also um also this whole uh like um i mean it's a mixed gender uh team most of the time it's a mixed gender team uh but still, I have this own. Um, hey, um, uh, let's let's not just let's just not go over there to be able, uh, to be confused for something else. Uh, for example, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it sounds wrong or not, but I don't want to be known as the boss who hits on them or something like that. So, uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that 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 whole. Uh, uh yeah conversation is kind of i mean i'm not stopping it as such but i'm just not at least it's not from my side um but of course i mean i have seen them following me on instagram and twitter they know i mean if they they if they're looking for hints they know 
uh other than that i have had a few um not in interns for me particularly but there have been uh colleagues yeah there have been uh, uh juniors of mine who had um were openly queer and uh, stayed at uh, at this like like this particular field station um yeah i mean uh, we would talk about our queer experiences but there was no um yeah uh, it wouldn't happen to be like pervading everything else it's just like normal conversation and uh, um yeah so I don't know. I mean, that's that's the end. That's that that's what I would want want to say. I mean, except for the time when I was in Chapramari, the West Bengal part, I don't think I have been openly queer at during my field work, uh, just because, you know, of all the situations. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, I guess uh, I guess that does make sense where it's not a very hard or explicit boundary, but just something you are somewhat consciously steering clear of uh, to be to kind of to safeguard yourself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to otherwise put it, but this, um, I don't know, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, otherwise I'm a very open, I mean, I would, uh, I mean, if you ask my friends, I, I'm, I'm almost always talking about queer issues or being mm-hmm. queer or being gay and how I'm not stuff like that. But uh, just with my whenever it just happens that when I'm with my interns and I'm the only team leader and they're all, um, I mean, quite young, quite young. I mean, um, 21, 22. So I just keep keep kind of a kind of a distance in the sense like being not too personal about stuff uh, otherwise I try and be as approachable as possible but yeah I mean that also depends on how my demeanor is I don't know how I can change that but yeah thanks Jovan what about you Ishan what has it been like for you um well, well right now I'm in a very I don't really do much field work and I'm in a very bureauc- bureaucratic office sort of setting. But the the times that I have done or uh, lived on field in India while working with different organizations, I don't think it's ever been a topic of discussion. I think it's always been a thing in the background that, oh, you know, we work at the same organization. So obviously everyone knows, but it's not purposefully brought up during field visits or during uh, stays in the field site. So, um, yeah, I don't really have a lot of experience in navigating those conversations outside of a office or urban space. Uh, but I think that it's definitely helpful to talk about it because I know at some point I will be back again to do that sort of research, field-based research and it would be important to know how to navigate the spaces because currently I don't have any experience. Right. Yeah. Tanya, you are also in an interesting circumstance where, especially for your PhD, or your fieldwork was very close to the urban space within which your department lies. So what was what was that like for you? Uh, since in terms of geography, the two spaces were quite close, even though they were with different groups of people. Yeah. 
So yeah, but the um, I mean, field experience was completely different because these people were not part of the university. There were all, a lot of people who were selling bananas and gardeners working in that uh, area where I worked. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, I never had any con. No, actually, I did. So yeah, I mean, you know how field work is. Whenever you're working with people around, they come and ask you personal questions. And I've been asked so many times, what is my age? And as soon as I tell them that I'm 30, they tell me why. They ask me if I'm married and why. When I tell them that I'm not, they just get shocked and really concerned. There was one guy who really who uh, told me to, you know, make up my mind in two weeks time and I should get married. <laughs> it's high time. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, these were like really fleeting conversations because I'm still working with monkeys. I'm following monkeys. So I never really had, um, longer conversation with people, but, uh, yeah, I've had different types and they were okay with it because, you know, it's a city and again, I'm come, I come from a very privileged background. So they think that, okay, this person has a lot of money so they can just, spend their life following monkeys and not getting married so yeah i mean that's a difference when you work in city settings um but i've also realized uh from what jobin has said that uh we don't really come i mean I, our identities as queer people doesn't come out very often because because these identities are secularized so if a straight identifying person goes with these interns, he doesn't have to, you know, think about, oh, no, I'm straight. I have to, this is my personal life. So it's not, uh, that doesn't happen with queer identifying people it, because the identities are so sexualized that you think, okay, this person will, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a political identity, but something that is very personal to you. So that also you cannot assert your identities in that way. Um, so these are the, these are differences, but yeah, I mean, I, it's uh, been very different for me because city and then coming from a privileged background and, but I've also had a lot of conversations around queerness, but very political conversation, but which were not related to my personal life. Um, yeah, it has been, I mean, it's always fun to talk to people and have these discussions. But uh, but as I said, I was working on monkeys. Monkeys are more interesting. So we have more conversations about how these monkeys behave instead of how, what is, I mean, what, who am I? So that can be um, something that I can, you know, uh, move away from. Uh, but Ishika, you have also worked, you've worked in more remote settings. Tell <laughs> us about your queer experience and how did you navigate that? Um. It is actually an interesting combination of what you and Jobin said, uh, because I think for most of the time, it is just straight passing behavior, uh, wherein a lot of people assume that uh, that I am straight and uh, that I am eventually going to get married and settle down. And then you kind of just end up with a series of questions about uh when you're getting married, at what point you're willing to do that. And since I'm also somebody who, um, I mean, so being a pansexual person, uh, there is also the possibility of ending up with somebody who is of another gender than my own, right? So 
it's sometimes i find myself sharing a part of me because i can share half truths right it's something that uh, there have been times where i have a male partner there have been times where the possibility of getting married in our you know rigid systems of indian matrimony it is a possibility right it's something that is an option whether i want it or not so sometimes i've ended up having very long very intrusive conversations with people because a lot of my work involves doing ethnographic work with local communities and uh, you know where i am expecting people to open themselves up to me and so in return very often i open have to open myself up to them and be very open to many separate lines of questioning so uh, so i do share i do share a lot about myself but it is it is a half truth and i've never yet been in a situation where i can share uh, you know what my identity is in my uh, field sites and uh, that has over, sometimes taken a toll uh, sometimes i've had to change pronouns in stories i've had to uh, dress more femme than i'm comfortable doing especially during when i'm doing my interviews and ethnographic work where i'll have to go in a salwar kameez and you know put on my kajal and a bindi and a dupatta and stuff like that on days where i just feel really uncomfortable in my skin dressing that femme uh, you know so i've had to navigate some of those things which have at times taken a toll on mental health but uh, but i have definitely had to draw that boundary i guess where i've uh, i have worked in settings where i haven't had the luxury or the liberty or the immediate support system to be queer or be, be that version of myself in the field and i'm usually kind of half of myself when i'm in the field and i try to deflect i think both for others who are talking to me and also for myself in terms of who i am and my queer identity and you just kind of redirect that energy into doing other things and uh, and kind of realizing other versions of myself so if i you know i'm not often able to explore my queer self when i'm in the field but i also kind of rechannel that time to do other things that i can't do in my slightly safer queer settings in a city like write more be more creative document more uh, you know spend more time doing those kind of things which i don't get to do otherwise so i try to kind of offset my mental health by doing that and engaging with other parts of me that is not all you know really linked to my identity or sexuality but uh, kind of is still a part of who i am so uh, but yeah i think there are days which are when it's easy there are days where it's just you know whatever a passing conversation and i don't really dwell on it and it doesn't leave much of an impact on me but there are days when it is harder and there are days where you know you kind of crave that bit of privacy to have your space um also because i don't uh, my field space i have mainly worked alone in the field with maximum one other person with me since i do go to a lot of slightly remote areas to work in so so yeah so it's not easy to have even a queer bubble within a field site very often so i do thrive uh, in my queer spaces when i'm back uh, you know from field sometimes because it kind of happens in parts but yeah but thanks for asking that yeah <laughs> no I, i might have missed on it but um, the same question that uh, tania was asked how um, so i'm 37 now when i was doing my field work i was already 35 36 so um i was asked that question as well but it was uh, probably not in a uh, like yeah uh, i mean most of the time people thought that i also already married i had like two kids at home stuff like that but uh, uh 
yeah so when they ask i usually like 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 ishika when i usually deflect that question uh probably make up uh, something or half truth or something so i i think there was this this guy i think i have answered him separately each time he has asked me that question i have answered him in in different i mean i've given him different answers so he knows that they're all not true or lies but uh, this is just not something that i want to share with him in particular i mean that's just that's just i mean who you are comfortable sharing your life with i mean i'm not not the life but sharing your life details with so yeah and uh, there's there was there was the situation where an intern probably did come out to me so uh, i mean um uh, so i i'm i'm pretty sure that um all that uh, uh, demeanor and all that aggressive look <laughs> that i was talking about is not exactly how it is in the field people do come to me approach me when they have problems so um uh, i mean i won't go into the details but uh, it happens is what i'm just saying so yeah i mean it's not like uh, there is zero talk about these things in the field but uh, it's not often is what i'm trying yeah no that that makes sense i think another uh, another thing that i realized is that when you have to be a version of yourself in the field with a lot of the people you work with um so you, there's a there's a narrative of yourself that you're presenting right i in your performance as well as in your direct conversations with them and a lot of these are very tight knit communities and there's often a lot of curiosity surrounding you as a person who's come in from outside and everyone talks and shares so it's also something that you have to be quite cognizant about so like what you just said joban about telling somebody a different story every time is not something i relate to because i have some i've had to stick to the same narrative because people talk so the moment you tell two different things to two different people it's suspicious right it's like wait who are you really and um, which is this which version is the true version and then you get more questions and it gets more and more intrusive until they get to the bottom of it so um, so yeah so i realized very quickly i have when i go to a new space i have to very quickly gauge what my narrative is and to know how much of my truth i can share and make sure that i continue consistently sharing the same amount and the same story so um, so for me i've had a slightly different experience from from what you said because of that because i find that i live in a very very glass house in a lot of these places what i understand is also because uh, you were trying to protect yourself a self preservation kind of a thing uh, which is what i should also do but um this head passing looks help me out in some ways is something that i understand mm-hmm. so i mean this uh, head male passing looks or whatever so right so. um there's also uh, a power dynamics right when as yes. researchers we go to the field so we're already in a you know pedestal when you when we go to these areas so yeah i mean we have to behave responsibly and yeah. Uh, yeah i mean if uh, being cis het is the normative uh, unfortunately and you have to stick to it because you have to be respectful of the community also unless you get really close to some people and you're comfortable comfortable sharing about your life but you have to be aware of your own position as a researcher in their space when you're entering it yeah 
Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, this is where sometimes it starts to, like the lines blur even more for me because I realize that uh, when I spend time in a place, I don't usually spend a short amount of time. I go for longer stretches. And the idea is to actually just get as comfortable with that space as possible and really um, involve myself in everything that is happening over there. And sometimes... It is sad to not be able to share everything because apart from this one bit of myself, I am very open and I do share a lot. And we live together, we eat together, we go for festivals together, we engage in pretty much every kind of social, uh, you know, circumstance and festival together, even funerals together. So when you're sharing so much and still just a little bit short of, you know, your entire being, that is that is a little sad. But uh, but I completely agree. That's the, you know, first and foremost to constantly be respectful and not feel that anyone owes you that um, that space because it's we come from different spaces and backgrounds and cultures. Um, so I, I also wanted to ask uh, you, Ishan, you know, considering you were say you started out you, your first foray into the space of ecology was in India. And you spent a year working here and interning here before you moved abroad. Your first job was abroad. And now you were, you mentioned that you're considering coming back to India to work. So how does that tie into your career experience? And do you, what do you think is going to happen coming forward? What are you uh, kind of expecting and anticipating pros and cons of returning to the country? I think I'm coming at this from very much uh, rose tinted glasses in terms of my initial experiences and not just my interning experiences but also through my bachelor as being associated with the wildlife community and the conservation community it's been very most of it has been extremely positive so I think that's definitely colored the way I see uh yeah, I mean, I know there are definitely issues. I'm not denying that, but uh, because my experience has been fairly positive, it's it's kind of like, oh, you know, I I know I can navigate these spaces, or at least I feel like I might be able to navigate these spaces. So, um, yeah, that 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 is my thinking, and obviously, I know it will be different because I might I will be at different career stages in my life. I will no longer be you know, just a kid who's tagging along with everyone and it also like being perceived differently. And like you guys said, at a different uh, age where the questions I will be asked are going to be different. So uh, yeah, that is something I am considering. And I know, I know and I know long term, I do want to work in India and uh, at some capacity, at least be associated with the wildlife conservation and environmental community in India. So I know this is going to be an extremely important conversation to have. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, which I have already experienced in terms of like field work and doing interviews and talking to people is, I completely resonate with what you said in terms of hiding a part of you, because especially when there's very direct questions about like, who you're seeing or like your partners. I think I've definitely experienced sort of that deflecting or 
having that two seconds of panic of like trying to gauge like is this a safe space is this you know just having that sort of do i come out to this person in this instant or i just change the pronouns and uh yeah so i've definitely experienced that and i think that is something i'm going to have to prepare myself to deal with uh yeah yeah so I, I, but yeah that's a good thing to think about in terms of uh future experiences and working in the field as being an openly out we are person yeah now yeah, thanks thanks ishan i i really hope that uh, you know your host intended classes are closer to reality than not um and yeah i'm going to of course come back to you over time to know how things go but yeah thanks what about you tanya where do you see yourself heading and do you anticipate any you know particular challenges going forward and based on your experiences so far as well is there anything you're hoping to have in terms of better support or in terms of your needs as a queer person in this field going ahead for the rest of your phd and also after um so i mean i i want to continue working in india i love working here um but yeah i mean there is a lot of work that has to be done on institutional level and um mm, yeah i mean as you mentioned that we are people you have to take the responsibility sometimes and uh come up with solution and uh, i mean i think i'm at the stage where i am comfortable doing that and uh, also at my university we're trying to come up with groups that can you know be supportive of uh, queer identifying researchers which is we could just have a space uh, to um, have a conversation and just share our problems that's also it's a sort of kind of a sort of kind of support group um which are also missing in some government institutions a lot of private institutions i think are uh i think it's it's also because of the corporate model that they have taken they it's it has become a, a part of their programs but yeah i mean um yeah it's just bare minimum that these that these institutions have to do um come up with some support groups and uh, i mean i am okay working here uh, because again my privilege and i've become so comfortable in this um, in this place and uh, there's still a lot to explore in terms of work so hmm, very difficult to say what i expect <laughs> there is a lot of work that we need to do i think okay thanks danya what well, very you at jobin what do you what are you thinking about in the present and for the years to come or what are you looking for in a place where you could potentially do a postdoc like you were saying you were thinking about we've been all talking about privilege part and i i i think i've been very privileged in the sense of the current um, mentor the current situation that i am in right now uh, kind of i mean uh, kind of very supportive about a lot of things so uh, i mean i i wouldn't expect anything less than what i have, what i have right now so uh, i've looked at um, so when i'm looking at uh, 
postdocs. Uh, I, I know I I know I'm just a PhD and they are all established um, professors and all, but I do look at the page and I do touch them for what they have and what they don't have, their website, their um, uh their uh, blogs uh, hey oh pro- oh probably he's oh he's queer friendly oh yeah oh great i mean i mean these are the things that i look at um which is a very weird way of doing it i mean you should probably be reading their papers or something like that there is i mean but no i mean uh yeah, yeah everyone is good in their academically everyone's good but what is the other thing that they um, their lab would have do they i mean would they would they be okay with the uh, uh, especially in this field, I think I think most. Um, not, I mean, uh, I don't have a great. Uh, I don't have a long history in this particular field, but the people that I have met, whoever is in that professor or whoever is that, I have been quite liberal in some sense. At least South Indian conservation, uh, the, the I mean wildlife conservation, uh, uh, group of people. So uh, even for postdocs, if that's what. That's where I want to be. I mean, uh, more liberal probably in that sense, or a city where, uh, uh, yeah, where, uh, or a country where, uh, um, I mean, uh, queer rights are more uh, visible or more, op- I mean, m- are, are given. Uh, I, I mean, they are not they are not restricted in that sense. So, um, so something like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, I'm being too picky. I know that, but uh, probably. We'll see what happens. Yeah. No, thanks, Jobin. I think, I mean, we, of course, keep coming back to the point of privilege because we've also ended up in a positive feedback loop because those are the spaces which are also run by the most privileged people in society that end up being queer-friendly as well because they end up aligning in many ways because of the shared experiences, right, over time and the exposure to these themes over time. But... I also wanted to maybe, this is probably my last question unless something else comes up, um, about the opportunity cost of being queer and safeguarding yourself in this field. Because we, like you were saying, Jobin, about, you know, having to be picky, right? Having to find spaces where you can really be safe with who you are and, you know, having people who are supportive enough. Um, But what is the opportunity cost of that in terms of selectively picking workspaces that support your identity? Uh, Have you ever come across situations where you have chosen maybe the slightly cushier option or the more urban option or stayed away from certain kinds of fieldwork or arenas in this field uh, because it may not be as safe for you or you might not have as much acceptance? So no, like I said, I don't have this uh, long history in this field uh, at all. But uh, I do understand that opportunity thing. But I I have this uh, strong uh, notion in my head that um, professionally people can do good. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you uh, if you put your brains or if you put your mind something, I mean, I think I think people can excel. But it's the personal. Um, personal thing that also helps in what you are. I mean, unless you are free in that aspect, you might not ever be able to put your 100% into your professional life, um, which is why I insist on picking on uh, spaces or um, institutions or 
given opportunity for postdoc um, in a space which is more open or more liberal in that sense about uh, queer experiences. I would also look at their postdocs. I would also look at their PhDs if they are, I mean, look at their Instagrams or something like that to, to find just one clue that there is some queer aspect to that lab or something like that. Because I know deep within myself that I wouldn't be happy. And if I'm not happy, I wouldn't be excelling in what I do. Uh, and I realized that now after being in this lab, that if I, if, um, if personally I, I have, I mean, I have all the space to explore, I think I'd be exploring or doing better in my professional life as well. So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, if I have to, uh, if I have to compromise on something, I think it would be worth it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it reduces a lot of opportunities for queer people. Um, for example, if I am really looking for a postdoc, um, I want to work in India, I have a field site in India, but I'd rather prefer to work in a lab which is not in India right now because I, I don't know if, I don't know if there are organizations uh, who are openly um, supportive of queer people and um, that is a big deal. It is I completely agree with you when it's a your mental health gets affected. Um, yeah, I mean if it, but there are some a lot of labs outside India that they have a queer a lot of queer people and they're open about these. Um, things and they're more inclusive it just feels like you can have a better you know conversations around these topics and these labs which are, which are important if you're looking for jobs uh, and it's not just something short term um, having working in a field site is again a little different but um, having an office somewhere where you have to hide your identity your political identity it's a uh, very difficult. It's it's very difficult. Um, so yeah, I mean, it does take away a lot of options from queer people. Um, yeah, if you want to work in a small organization in Northeast, and uh, if they're not, you know, I mean, which is always the always the case that they're not. They're just focused on conservation, and they're not really talking about rights of people. Unfortunately then you have to let go of that opportunity um yeah it's 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 very difficult it's a trade-off constantly because you have to figure out when you can prioritize your own safety and mental health and it's unfortunate that that needs to even be a choice and that's something that you even have to actively consider compromising on um in order to follow a professional opportunity Ishan, what do you think about this? I mean, I'm not going to talk about the trade-offs because I completely agree with both of you in term, in what you said. I, I was just going to say about this, what you talked about in terms of being in a space that is very openly talks about queer people, accepts queer people, and does things, even if it is... Uh, a lot of times might be a tick box exercise, but it still pushes for that, I think makes a huge difference because currently the place I, I don't work in a lab, but I work with a lot of people who do lab work, field work, and they have their own lab. So um, 
and it's in the state same institute and it does make a massive difference because there is institutional push in fact not just silent support but there is institutional push to talk about queer you know talk about queer identities have queer meetups have a mailing list to keep all queer people who want to be part of it updated to have uh, spaces like this to talk to online meetups and also uh, make sure uh, you know like i said queer uh, issues that people have they are addressed even if it whatever it might be related to gender or um, uh, sexual identity so I, they, they are, that definitely does make a difference when you are in a place which uh, institutionally supports you and institutionally makes sure you're not discriminated against. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Thanks, Ishan. I think it's so great that that's happening. And I, I mean, I really, really hope that places like this start setting a precedent in general, because even if it starts... Uh, happening just to tick a box of being politically correct in today's day and age in terms of these spaces needing to be there. Hopefully, it'll eventually percolate into the general psyche of management in terms of things that are essential and actually understanding the value of it for those who feel this way. Uh, because it's not just frivolous, right? These support systems are so, so crucial to just sanity uh, and having people who relate to you and your experience which is like you were saying initially Tanya so different and far removed from the cishet experience in general um, but yeah thank you so much guys for sharing so much I put you on the spot in many different ways and you've opened up about one of the most vulnerable aspects of our entire lives so I am so grateful thank you for coming back on the podcast and doing this with me. Thank you, Shika, for calling us. It was, it was yeah, actually... Thanks uh, a lot, Ashika. But actually free. Yeah, thank it you, was actually, Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I was just going to say thanks. It's, it's really nice to talk to... Yeah, I was uh, quite liberal. Yeah. I'm quite free to talk to... Uh, I mean, talk in this group. It was like... I didn't. I think I didn't hold back. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. This series will continue next Sunday, where I'm in conversation with Avik Banerjee. We embark on a very exciting marine journey with him, while also learning a bit more of his lived experiences as a queer wildlifer. Tune in again next week for more pride and underwater escapades. If you are a queer identifying individual in the field of ecology or conservation, do consider joining the Indian Queer Wildlifer Circle. To be a part of this group, one that respects your anonymity and keeps your identity confidential, please write in to me at thethingaboutwildlife.com or DM me on any of our socials. We are currently a group that is over 80 members strong and we are still growing. Remember, you're not alone. We're all in this together. Thanks for listening.